Hi everybody, this is Wit from Spiderbait. When I'm passing through Karam, aside from slowing down to 50 kilometres an hour and reminisces about doing the Eel Race Road Rumba or the Watley Street Wiggle, I like to tune in to Radio Karam and get down with the good vibes. Welcome to the Strong Single and Human Podcast, a real look at single parenting, the ups and downs and how to navigate life with kids on your own while keeping sane. Covering subjects such as domestic violence through to fussy eaters and solo dating. I'm your host, Claire Martin. Welcome. This week's guest began her career as a classroom teacher, but soon discovered a special interest in well-being. In 2000, she quit teaching and established a harm prevention charity called Youth Excel. Her days were filled with running small group support programs for girls at risk of dropping out of education. And she soon became well known for successful outcomes with tweens and teenagers who didn't flourish under the more traditional forms of therapy. Over the next 20 years, Youth Excel continued to grow and expand. The Youth Excel Centre was established with multidisciplinary clinic offering psychology, counselling, mentoring for children and teenagers. Today, she uses her experience to write and speak in schools, community events and through the media. Her best-selling parent and children resources include the highly popular Everyday Resilience Journal and has sold over 100,000 copies worldwide and it's been translated into several languages. She has been termed the teenage expert by the media and is sought after for her compassionate and grounding advice. Her innovative work has been featured on the Today Show, Today Tonight and Channel 10 Morning News and Sky News, as well as countless print media, including The Age, The Courier Mail and The Daily Telegraph. And you can also hear her on radio in Australia on a weekly basis. Hi, welcome, Michelle. Welcome along to my podcast. Thanks so much for, um, you're just so busy. So thank you so much for spending the time with us. Oh, we've all got the same amount of time in the day. No one's more busy than anyone else, but it is a, it's a big time of year and, and it's so nice mm. to talk to you, Claire. You're amazing. So we could have oh, forever. You. I'm sure we could. We're going to have a great time. Yeah, chat. I know. This this could go on forever. <laughs> Poor you. It's all good. It's all good. So look, um, I was just, um, so I've just done the intro and everything and um you basically you were a teacher originally I was I was a primary school teacher yeah and And then you decided well the teaching's okay but I actually want to do I want to look after and the kids well-being and stuff so what was the turning point I only taught for four years but the crazy thing is is ever since I was maybe probably around 14 years old probably even younger I knew that I would be doing what I'm doing today And I always felt like I would study teaching but teach for a very short amount of time. So it was just weird. I had this kind of internal compass about it all and I was really happy to do my degree, teach for a short amount of time. And even when I was teaching, I would often look around and think to myself, 
one of these things doesn't look like the other one. Like I was like this square peg in a round hole. And some of my colleagues really cared about, you know, whether E was on the end of the word, you know, or. Oh, okay. Like it was just, I wasn't as intense about grammar and times tables, but I really cared about kids' confidence and their well-being. So I quit teaching. I started a charity and I started working with small groups of girls just at risk of dropping out of education. And I loved it. Um, So many good stories from that time. So many, I guess, pivotal moments for me that really changed and shaped the way I think about family and the importance that I put on family. And so those years for me were just, you know, imperative to what I'm doing now. And I ended up with a psychology clinic with 12 staff and we saw about 120 families every week. And I absolutely love that season of my career. I just felt like it's really impactful. Um, But I always spoke in schools and I wrote a book, my first book about 10 years ago. And it, it this kind of area of my life has just continued to build. And I love doing what I'm doing. I really, really love talking to great people like you. I just about the things that matter most in families. Yeah, look, I yeah, I completely agree with you. And it's one of the reasons I do what I do with the podcast because I'm interested, well, number one, selfishly for me and my child, looking at tools and how to deal with the challenges that we have every day. And then also to try and help people out there, because I know how desperate it can be as a single parent to be sitting there pulling your hair out because, you know, there's been some incident at school or, you know, your child comes to you and you just want to help them and you know and like sometimes being a single parent you go I have no idea (laughs) or being the age I am I look there and I go oh it was a long time ago since I was a kid so what did I go through? I think for single parents I often say to them is just like showing up is enough I often find that single parents put such a lot of pressure on themselves and always feel like they're coming from this place of a deficit But oftentimes their kids don't see it like that at all. Their kids look at them and just think the world of them. And you can only be you. And the most powerful thing we can do for kids Mm. is really show up authentically for them. They need to say full, they need to see a full range of emotions. They need to have a wide variety of experiences in life. And um, the reality is that some of the tough ones can actually shape them in the most amazing ways. Yeah. I, I think as a single parent, you just so want a closet. The, you know protect them and not so much wrap them up in cotton wool but like just protect them from the stresses of being an adult um and let them be children and let them go and play and not actually yeah. deal with the emotional uh roller coaster of being a single parent and dealing with potentially toxic situations and some of us do have to deal with those toxic situations some of us are fortunate and you know we've in really special uh co-parenting situations so that's really good so yeah yeah no completely agree completely agree um okay so you have written this everyday mm-hmm. resilience journal uh, which is highly highly popular right and yay. it really like it sparked my interest because you sold it worldwide it's in several languages and I'm like I'm just it, what 
what is the Everyday Resilience Journal? Okay, so there's a book for parents called Everyday Resilience and there's the Everyday Resilience Journal, which is for 8 to 13-year-olds. And I think because I've worked so much with high school kids in my career and I'm starting to see the issues that used to be just reserved for, you know, year nine, start to creep down into grade seven and even in grade five and six in places, I felt like I could make a really big impact by... Uh, yeah, I guess being as preventative as I can and teaching kids the tools and the skills that they need. This time, 8 to 13, I think is imperative to set them up. It, it's all about their character. It's all about the skills for their, you know, their social relationships. And so this is what I've become so passionate about because I can see if we set the foundation right and we kind of drill down into our relationship with them at this age, it's going to be so much easier when they hit those high school years. Mm-mm. So what, okay, so I'm going to take it right back. What is your definition of resilience? Okay. Right? Because because I'm sort of going, like, I know what mine is, but like, what do yeah. we class resilience as for our kids, basically? Yeah, what I, is that nowadays? There's thousands of definitions and every kind of expert's got their own definition and researchers have come out with some amazing ones. And people know of resilience is that capacity to bounce back after misfortune or thrive in the midst of life's challenges. I, I get concerned that parents are going to set the bar way too high for kids. I think we need to have some really crappy days and, and not expect them to be resilient. You know, I think that Sometimes we forget when we're our relationships at school were going pear-shaped, we were not standing by the front door with our shoes and socks on, having had our brain-boosting breakfast ready to thrive for the day, you know. <laughs> we had our dinner over our head before. And I think we get kind of like um, really scared that our kids are not resilient and we hear a lot of the research that is sort of pointing to anxiety in this generation. I think we've got to really be careful how we frame this. Um, I like the definition of adapting well in the midst of adversity or amidst of tough times. And it's this capacity, I think, to keep moving and realise that um, life is going to evolve. We have to evolve with it. There's something to be said about kids that have to get up every day and do life regardless of how they feel um and I know that Maggie Dent was such a brilliant expert in this area talks about her experience as a child living on the farm that there was just this expectation you had to be resilient because there was no one else to milk the cows and I think particularly families where there's you know maybe like yourself mum and a son there is a certain reliance on each other that you know you have to get up every day and do your job and that that actually draws something really precious out of people yeah yeah and look and it's right because I you know I have to say to him hey buddy it's just you and me man you know we have to work together you know can you help me do x can because otherwise I don't get the time to play with you because I'm constantly doing so you know so I mean shame he's only six but he's now making his bed he's helping me chop vegetables which is like puts me in a panic mode with him and a knife but you know he's you know don't chop your fingers off and all of this you know he's doing quite well so yeah I listened to a podcast yesterday with Albanese and um, Mia Freeman from Mamma Mia, and his his he was a um, his mum was a single mum, and she'd actually had him out of wedlock and hid it for years. I never knew his story. 
But he had, um, his mum was quite sick, so she spent like two, three months in hospital. He was paying the bills by the time he was 12 years old and he would actually go and have, you know, dinner with his neighbours every night, a different allocated neighbour. But I listened to his story and there's just something in me that thought to myself, it's sometimes not the deficit that we think it is. There are some precious, precious things that are built in those times. I think the most important thing is that our kids have a sense of security around them and that feeling of being closely attached. And we do need to process our emotions away from our kids to be able to show up safe sometimes. I noticed you said that before. I wanted to jump in on that because you know, it's just you and your son, but you're not best friends. You're still his mum. And so this capacity to be an adult and process away and then come in as this big person in their lives, like this compass, is a beautiful thing. Yes. No, that's right. And um, I'm very conscious of that, although I'm also conscious of keeping it real with him. So it's not yeah. about saying mummy's perfect because mummy's not perfect. No. And I, no. mummy's having a bad day. Yeah. So, <laughs> it, you know, it's about saying, okay, buddy, I need time out because mummy's tired or, you know, so, mm-hmm. yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's about filling mummy's bucket up today because, like, you know, I'm a bit tired and, like, can we work together and not shout each other? And, you know, and he says, well, I get sad when you shout at me. And I said, well, I get sad when and you shout at me you know and things like that. so it's just you know and and I say look I'm sorry and like if we do have that moment where he's pushed a button and I say oh just put your shoes away then you know I do say oh look mummy sorry she shouted at you it wasn't the best way to deal with the situation didn't make you feel good did it and it didn't make mummy feel good and we try and talk through things and we just you know try and make out that I'm not perfect because I think if yeah. you try and hold it together and I have done, and I've tried to hold it together, and they know, they just know, and they pick up on all those things. I think the trick in all that is is this, so I will. This is how I'm feeling, so I will responsibility. And, and look, I'm going to need some time out while you watch that movie or do whatever and, and regroup. And they see you taking responsibility for managing that, which I actually think is, um you know, a, a brilliant thing. And especially during COVID, I feel like some parents have really felt like they've almost damaged their kids by showing emotion. And it's just not the way resilient works, resilience works. And I just think we've got to get this, okay, definition and ideal so much more realistic. Sometimes life is tough. Sometimes it sucks. Um, and it's step by step in those times. Yeah, it's like, um, oh, I can't remember their saying that they have at school, but it's quite sweet. But it's, you know, like it, it, mistakes are there to be learned from, basically. And, and the tough times are there to help you grow. Mm. Tough times are where we learn our lessons, where we actually see how we actually are going to deal with situations and enable us to take a step back, deep breath. How are we going to deal with that situation? You know, and I mean, he's probably going to quote this all his life, (laughs) but I always say, no, he says, I can't do that, mum. And I go, no, 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 there's no such word as can't. You just got to think of a different way of doing it because you can't do it the way that you want to do it. But there's a different way of doing right. it, buddy. Just, you know, let's think together on how else we can do this. So Solve the problem. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, nice. Don't you think it's amazing that we're modelling so many of these things and we're actually like, you know, like you see the quotes on the school classroom wall and you go, oh, I can learn yeah. a bit from that yeah. as well. <laughs> 
And we're actually, yeah, like we're all learning at the same time. And the most powerful thing about resilience and what the research actually tells us is um, mirror neurons enable us to um, experience what someone else is experiencing. So if you're watching football and someone goes down and breaks their leg, I don't know about you, but I literally feel it in my body. I'm like, oh, I can feel the shutter. My nervous system <laughs> cranks up. Um, and it, when it comes to learning those soft skills, all those things that you're talking about, and it's, it's gratitude and problem solving and perception and self-awareness and courage and all this stuff that helps you move through life. We are more likely to learn from people that we trust and are open-hearted towards. So it's not as simple as monkey see, monkey do. Otherwise, they'd all be making their beds perfectly, which they are not. Um, but when it comes to the big stuff in life, they actually copy off the people that they admire and respect. And that puts us in a powerful, powerful position. If kids can keep their heart open to us and we can keep our heart open to our kids that is actually just such an influential space okay so how do we help our kids be resilient how do we how do we help them because we do, because I don't with my son I'm being here we go this is my therapy session like with my yeah. son I don't want to wrap him in cotton wool because, like, I don't think they learn anything that way. And I would love to keep him safe and, and make sure that he was never hurt or anything like that. But, like, that's okay. Now he's, like, mm -hmm. six. But when he gets older, I'm not going to be there all the time. And, you know, and then when he becomes an adult. So how do we help them be resilient? Or how do we help them to become more resilient yeah. adults? Okay, as they move through life, like teenagers and adults. Yeah, there's so much we can do. And we can, we've got to remember that overarching all of this is we're learning as well. So every time that we're picking up a new skill, mm. we're modelling it and that, that modelling has the capacity to become such an integral part of their, their wiring. Um, I talk about six very practical things with parents and maybe I can just rattle them off and we can pick two of them to really dive into yeah. a bit more. But one of them is championing their autonomy and their sense of choice and ownership with their life. And that becomes, I guess, increasingly important as they move towards those adolescent years as well. The second one is validating the human experience and almost welcoming those big emotions because if they don't feel them, they're never going to learn how to regulate them. So we've got to get really good at not shutting them down but welcoming them. Um, the third thing I talk to parents about is bringing the calm, which means um, during those big heated moments where our kids have flipped over the edge, trying to offer them some shame-free, crash-free ways out and bring an established calm back into our relationships so then they can um, navigate from there and problem-solve from there because they can't problem-solve when they are feeling, you know, anxious, overwhelmed. There's just that disconnect that happens. They can't access that higher-level thinking. Celebrate. Well, they, they also don't listen, do they? Because their brain, when they go into meltdown, their brain sort of, stops registering anything that you're saying or reason yeah. or anything they just go meltdown yeah. don't they and if you're saying take a breath you know it, it's a you have to calm them down to be able to then negotiate register talk about the things. only job you have at that moment is to land the stress plane because 
after you are calm with them and they can reconnect, then you can problem solve. And so many times we try and teach prematurely, like, why did you do that? Or why didn't you think of that? Or, you know, we come, we come in with our... That sounds familiar. Yeah, our, our <laughs> kind of teach it mode, you know, and they can't learn. Lisa Damore is an American psychologist, but in her travels, she spoke to a teacher who introduced her to the glitter jar. And when girls were having friendship issues and came to her, like just think of a guidance counsellor in Australia, but she yeah, would yeah. shake up the glitter jar and slam it on the desk and say, that's what your brain's like right now. And so by the time the glitter would settle, the girl was normally in a position where she was feeling much more safe, calm and connected and was able to start to problem solve. Um, and in that moment where it's getting shaken up, one question we can ask our kids is, is this helpful? You know, and so we don't mm-hmm. want them in those moments where they're feeling quite exasperated, making things worse. We want to be able to say to them, right now, okay, I know you're feeling some really big feelings. Maggie Dent's got this saying that she says, um, what is it? Um, Try to not hurt yourself, not hurt anyone else or the environment. It's something like that. And I just think it's such a guiding compass for in those moments where our kids feel really shaken up that there's still that sense of boundaries, but they understand that now's not the time to put themselves under such a lot of pressure to problem solve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so then what's the next one? So that was three, wasn't it? Yeah, it was autonomy. Yeah, autonomy. Welcoming big emotion. And then calming them down. Being the calm, getting really good at bringing the calm, celebrating the right things with our kids. Oh, my gosh, is this a big one? Doesn't it trigger us off when our kids don't get recognised? Mm, <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, like you just think, oh, come on. And I think we've got to realise that big's always found in little. Don't you think that's important? That sometimes we're always trying to be grateful for the big things, but we forget being grateful for who they actually are. When I was teaching, um, I taught a special needs class that had so many kids in it that couldn't read in grade four. Um, and they were reading grade one readers. And I had a, a little Down syndrome boy in that in that class as well. And parents would come to me literally saying to me, Michelle, what can I do to fix it? I'll pay any amount of money. We can tutor every afternoon. We can do whatever you say, just try and fix it. And I often would have to look at them and be really honest and say, you can't fix this. This is who your child genetically is. And the quicker you start going with the flow of that instead of fighting against it, the quicker you're going to bring wholeness into that child's life who right now feels like they are so inadequate, they have nothing to contribute to the world. Yeah. Uh, so we've got to make sure that we're really drilling down into who, who our kids are, not who we want them to be. Mm. Gosh, is that a big thing? And that's yeah. Look, I completely yeah, I completely agree with you there. I'm very very cognizant of the fact that I just want my son to be happy. Mm. He could be a bin man, right? And not saying bin man are like you know, he could be a bin man. He could be a doctor. He could be a lawyer. He could be whatever. Mm. But um, he could sell real estate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he could sell used cars. I don't, as long as he's happy with doing whatever he's doing, mm-hmm. I don't really care. Yeah. He could have no job and be sitting on a beach as long as that's what makes him happy. Yeah. Because it's only society that says, oh, you need to, you know, earn lots of money to be successful and to do this. And there's a lot of people who dropped out of school. Yeah. Who, you know. But who, can I say this, Claire? When it's on your trigger point as an adult, and I'm going to try and explain that, 
Like when it's on your point where you have a innate fear or a history of lack. So let me give you an example. So just say that you've always not, you know, struggled financially and you really had that dream or that hope that your child would get ahead somehow or go to uni, but you see them going in the opposite direction. Not that uni is necessarily equated to money. That was a silly example, but you know. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Dreams we can get in life. And when we see our kids work walking in the opposite direction, it can ignite such fear in us as parents. Um, even our, our girls in unhealthy relationships. Oh my gosh. Did you see what I mean? I think that would I think yeah, no, no. I think that is the biggest I don't care what he does work-wise, yeah. but I think being in an unhealthy relationship would be a yeah. massive trigger be for me. Because yeah, be, well, and look, and maybe he'd would be happy in that unhealthy relationship but sitting out externally yeah. from it you just look at it and go oh, that's yeah. such a that's yeah so that would be my around. trigger yeah it, oh. and but yeah and I suppose you need to let them well make you know there's safety and there's age and there's all these things but the reality is we've still got to be able to connect with who they innately genetically are and love our kids wholeheartedly and that is really a big part in in building resilience. My dad actually didn't read until he was about 30. He, I know he dropped out of school really young. He, he, he had a lot of struggle in his childhood, but he learned to read when I was going through grade one. And I think, yeah, there's something I've learned from my dad because he didn't have any value in education. Like he, he just couldn't have cared whether we did homework or not. It just wasn't part of his <laughs> part of his value system and I became a teacher isn't that hilarious yeah but I think I've learned from my dad that no matter what academic or IQ space you come from it doesn't determine your success and my dad has been very able to cross over social boundaries and really accept people where they're at no matter where they're at just mm. such a lot of grace and empathy and no judgment and I just really love that and I think we have to even work at that as parents with our own kids yes no definitely definitely yeah it's interesting because you do your own prejudice um attitudes and things like that do come out and you may be driving the car and make a comment as you're driving the car or whatever and it's you're not conscious of it because that's something that you know when you didn't have children yeah yeah, so yeah, yeah no, I agree with you. It's yeah. yeah, it's being all accepting of everyone and having that empathy. I like one of the things I would love to do, and I'm not sure how to go about it at the moment is, but my son does get everything. Well, not everything that he requests, but he is like an only child, so to speak. So he does get a lot of things um, to, given to him. Mm-hmm. And I do want to uh, make him recognise that there are kids out there that don't get a PlayStation 4 for Christmas as such um although he thinks Father Christmas is making it for him so I'm like okay (laughs) fine there but you know like he's going well if you can't afford it mummy Father Christmas will get it for me and I'm like well okay sort of like that theory but Father Christmas has to work hard for that um so so you know he just thinks that these things materialize and I want to actually make him aware that there are people who don't have a house Mm. who sleep in their car who you know uh don't have food who you know don't have go on holidays and do all the things that we do so yeah yeah yeah, no I agree the next one is about establishing boundaries and I think that bleeds into that doesn't it 
I think it's something we don't talk about enough in our culture. We don't really talk about saying no to kids anymore. We, we kind of like, you know, we talk a lot about validating how they feel, but we don't realise that the no's and the boundaries that we put in place are actually just as vital for their resilience and they're a protective container for our kids. And if we don't set and hold really healthy boundaries, our kids are never going to be able to. And so just saying yes to everything is not the answer to resilience um, and just letting them free navigate everything is, is not really building them. I see kids in their 20s get into their first jobs and their boss says no to them and they quit because they've never had anyone say no to them in their lives. So no. if we don't allow them to hit up against a no and not move, so they have to move. Do you see what I mean? Mm. They have to adapt rather than we have to adapt. I know your kid's six, but I, I look at mums of six-year-olds sometimes and think, add 10 years to that, and, and that's, not a, that's not a good thing, you know. And I know it's sometimes time poor and it's easier to say yes or we say no and then we say yes because we get tired in the process and there's times and places for that. Let's, let's face it, you know. But our kids have at some point got to hit up against a no so they have to adapt and feel the pain of, I guess, disappointment and then have to move through those big feelings. So when your kids feel really large, when you've said no, you say to yourself internally, this is awesome. They have to feel in order to regulate. Yeah, and look, at I, and I agree, like it is hard. I mean, there are times where you're tired. I can think of last night being one of them where you're tired, you just need them to go to bed and they're like, no, I don't want to go to bed. I want one more episode or I want, you know, to do this or I want, and you're like, no, buddy, like bedtime is eight o'clock. So eight o'clock, yeah. you know, yeah. and there is a routine and, you know, we do X, Y and Z at bedtime and there's no like moving around on that. And I, I suppose being yeah. a single parent, that's a little bit like my son's with me a majority of the time. So that's pretty good. We have that quite, we have a good routine. I suppose it's a bit different if your child is 50-50 or something like that. And the routine is slightly different in the other yeah, house. But, my, you know, my view is let's try, hopefully you're in a situation where you can co-parent and have that discussion sometimes it's not um, achievable but just to keep that structure where like my view is keep that structure where it is like like he's only allowed a certain amount of time with iPad although I have discovered he's nicking off to the neighbours and they're doing <laughs> oh look kids kids at the end of the day and he goes oh mummy yeah he goes mummy can I go and play next door and I'm like yeah of course and then I find out yeah. that like you know they're on playstation or you know so you know look and it's okay like you know we're we deal with it but um yeah and like in a in a way he's there interacting with other children while he's playing playstation you know so but that's his way but you know what i mean it's his way of going oh mummy my hour's up so you know see you mum and off we go like you know um it's okay god love my neighbors they just are fantastic has values, yeah. don't they? Yeah. Every family has values and the no's that we say have got to be connected to those things that really matter yeah. to us. We've got to have a why um, because it gets tough saying no to kids and if we don't have a strong enough why, it doesn't make sense to them or us to put that much energy into yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Okay, so boundaries, 
That's number five. Is there a six, six one? Really well, oh, yeah. yeah. No, I like, I'm not like, I'm, I'm going, oh, which one should we delve in deeper into? Which one do I need to delve deeper into? <laughs> we, can, we can apply it. Okay. The last one is just protecting them. And that's a part of resilience too. There is a point where kids are stretched too much and they snap. Like it's not all about like just dropping them in the ocean and watching if they're going to swim and, you know, making them keep going. Mm. We all. And that is super important for us to keep an eye out with our kids. One of the ways that we can protect our kids without um, modicoddling them, I think, and this is, I think, my favourite strategy, is making sure they've got a big enough tribe around them because people around them are actually such a big part of keeping protection around them. We are naive to think they are always going to come to us. We are naive to think we're always going to see what's going on. But, you know, if we have a strong enough tribe around us, it does really help. Yeah, and look, we are the parents. So, like, I'm not sure I went to my parents to discuss stuff all the time. Like, I'm very close to my parents now, but, like, when I was – a teenager or whatever, that would probably be the last people I'd want to go and discuss stuff with, you know. It's a so. hard truth, but it's it's real. It's real that there's a time where kids sort of just try and be more independent and push away. Um, yeah, it's 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 really real. Safety net that they have behind them can help pick up some of those pieces sometimes. So it's a big part of protecting them. Um, all that running around we do to sports and extracurricular stuff that exhausts us, it's so important. Uh, and not to the point of burnout with our kids, but it's so important that they've got backup friends and other places to explore who they are. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I agree. And that was what I was going to ask, actually. Like, what do you suggest? Because being like me being a single mum and like my family's over in the UK, like my son does do like AFL, soccer and cricket, you know, in the relevant seasons that they all happen, yeah. which is quite nice that they're spread out over a year. And things like that. So he then is with other children. I really encourage him to do play dates and to have people over here and to go to, you know, uh, other people's as well because uh, we just don't have that network. Yeah, that's right. And and the secondary benefit, I mean, you get the health benefits, you get all these, you know, that he gets to find his purpose, what he's good at, what, you know, he gets to find out what he's not as good at, he gets all that. But the secondary and I think most important purpose is he gets to have a diverse range of friends. And they really do need that diversity. I think we sort of set them up with this kind of safe um, best friends kind of concept where they, you know, they feel really safe going to that group of cousins or that group at school. But our kids do need to get really good at interacting with a broad range of people and feeling comfortable and like they can be themselves. And that's part of resilience. That's incredible. Yeah. And I, I must admit, I'm encouraging him. I mean, shame, God love him. He's six. He loves singing. Um, but he's sort of a bit shy about singing in front of people or talking in front of people but I'm sort of pushing him that way as well because not to like push him and go right you've got to do this but like you know to encourage him um to get up and sort of like talk he's mm -hmm. not one for staying quiet but um yeah because I found it so good doing similar things when I was younger to give me the confidence to get up in front of a group of people and talk measured risks measured risk taking yes. Yes. And give choice within that as well. But yes. always plan it. 
safe is not going to work. Realising, though, that sometimes for some kids and some personalities, there's things that they find much more difficult than we would have at their age. So I think some choice around the risk-taking is important, but it's got to be a risk. Life's got to be an adventure. Oh, I yeah, I completely agree. Yes, it's like saying yes to everything. You know, um, although he wants a yes day and mummy's saying, "Mm, maybe not. (laughs) Because when can we have a yes day, mummy? And I'm like, oh, okay, which means I've got to say yes to everything, right? And I'm like, that's fine. (laughs) I'm happy to do it and we'll do it on a weekend. We have done one before and it wasn't as bad as I thought. So that was okay. Um, But yeah, so we'll do another one probably during the school holidays or whatever. So, okay, so yeah. they're the six, right? Let's go through them again just to get this correct. So this is autonomy. Yes. This is, uh, oh, here we go. I'm trying to test myself now. This is giving them some autonomy. This is, oh, I'm going to go through them in the wrong order, but anyway, setting boundaries, yeah. protecting yes. them, um, letting them show their big emotions. That was the second one. I know, I know, oh, and I did it on the fourth, small. but they were um let, uh, g- giving them some calm time oh, I'm bringing the five bringing the yeah. calm and then six what was six celebrating the rights oh that, see you yeah. said that was really important and I've forgotten that one shame celebrating the right stuff so okay so let's let's take a couple of these then I'm going to be selfish and go autonomy right yes love it. being a single mum right mm-hmm. uh Annie six so that sort of gives, I mean, you know, seven next year and stuff. How do I do that safely? Mm. Like, because I can't just go, right, you go to the shops and buy me some milk. No. I mean, you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So how do I do it safely uh, and how do we start to introduce and, and give them that, you know, autonomy as such? Because I think I find that, and I suppose being a mum as well of a boy, you tend to want to, do things for them. That's right. I have this saying with mums for their boys is boys learn on the job and without a job they don't learn. So if we just continue to modicoddle them and do everything for them, um, you know, they're smart enough to, to just accept that and they don't always learn. Okay, so I my area of expertise is not little ones. It's tweens and teens. What I can tell you is that our goal is to help fine-tune their ears to their inner voice and not just our voice, okay? So even your little man at six and seven, he has this little internal voice, you know, the tiny voice I call it when I speak to young ones. It's the tiny Yeah, I think we've we've all got one of those, haven't we? Devil and the angel. Yeah, that's (laughs) There can be a few tiny voices, can't there? Yeah. There can be the, you know, the super, super boy and there can be the the devil and the angel. Yeah, I shouldn't have that bar of chocolate. No, go for it. It's okay, blah, blah, blah. That's right. Not the second glass of wine, you'll regret it in the morning. Yeah, those sort of single mum things. Absolutely. I'm hoping, hoping, like, nobody's six or seven-year-old is having those conversations with themselves, but, you know. Yeah, but you go... You, we're all we're often with our kids. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. I know best. I know best. And it's coming out of a point where we're sometimes fearful, and we need to harness that nervous bystander energy and really help them and and take the time to help them dig into their own inner voice, not just ours. And that's really asking, what's that little voice saying? Oh, okay. And that's something we can 
yeah, what's that little voice saying? So, <coughs> excuse me, when we ask, um, we, when they ask us a question or they've got a friendship issue that comes up or they don't do what their homework, if you can just stop and say to them, what's that little voice saying? Help them be their own guide rather than guiding everything for them. That can be really important. Mm, mm. And then, okay, so, I mean, that would help me, especially with my little one. But, like, okay, so when they get to more teenagery, more like, yeah. what's the word I'm looking for, more defiant maybe, I don't know, or more reserved, yes. less tending to communicate outwards, mm -hmm. what do you, how yeah. do you, like, how do you help them then? And how do you make sure that they're going to make the right decision. Well, you ultimately have some guardrails around there. So you you can't have them, I guess, um, you know, walk towards adulthood without any guardrails. So think of it like a highway and their brake system, which is that prefrontal cortex that is that logical thinking, is not fully developed. And there are raging lot of emotions and hormones. So that limbic system is three times more active than any other time in their life. So it's unrealistic to think that we don't need to put guardrails in there. So those boundaries are really important, especially with the safety issues. But if the risk is mild to moderate, I kind of tend to think that kids need a full range of experiences. They need to fail and they need some stories. Let's face it, Claire, they need some cool stories. So we need to, we need to <laughs> recognise that. I really talk to parents about being a resilience coach and yeah. Realising that whenever they're lifting the heavy weight in life, and that heavy weight can be, you know, friendship problems, not liking their schoolwork, whatever, they're going to come to a point where they feel the burn or the pain of lifting those weights. And that burn or the pain. The parent or the child. The child or both of us feel it. But we oh, well, see I, them, yeah. you know, we see them in pain. And sometimes what we want to do is something that we would never pay a personal trainer to do which would be come up to us and say, hey, let me help you carry that weight or let me take that weight off you. Do you want a Coca-Cola? <laughs> You've had a hard day. Let's stop through McDonald's. You know, and, and we pull them out of the game at the very point that a really great personal trainer will actually come up next to their kids and say, you can do five more. Now, we don't want to squat them to death. Okay, so we're not we're not talking about them ending up in hospital here. We're talking about realizing where their tension point is and helping them develop a tolerance for the big emotions in life. Okay, okay. How do we do that? Though? Okay. Like, is it just just recognizing? Yeah, it's helping. Okay, two things. So it's not rescuing them out of that moment too quickly realize okay. in ourselves that they've got five more in them that they can go to school the next day. So just sitting back and watching a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. Taking a breath. Breathe it in. Things like what should you do next? What options are you considering? What information might you be missing here? How can I best support you? And just watching them hold the weight and say to yourself, they've got five more in them. And really learning to cheer on that strength. Gosh, you're doing so much better than I would at your age. I'm so, I'm so proud of you. And focusing on the right things. So now we're focusing on building life from the inside out. Yes. 
Wow, that's really wow. That's very insightful. No, no, no. That's that's awesome. I'm so glad I got a few years to wait because I'm going to need a lot of tools in my toolbox for this one. And okay, so and also when you were saying because my concern is like it's so like when your child is going through pain right so it could be the friendships exploded at school and stuff Mm -hmm. like that um like how do like how do you as a parent just is it still doing the similar sort of stuff and going what are your options and like exactly and it's it's you know the nervous bystander energy we get when our kids are kicking that final goal in their soccer game let's take it they're about to kick that goal and uh, our stomach is a knot. Will they kick that goal and what's going to happen? And I feel like as we watch on in life and see them like approach these really big moments, we get this nervous bystander energy that we have to learn to harness. We need to process our emotions like we talked about away from our kids. We need to know where to channel that so it doesn't trip them up or get in their way. Kids have a pretty natural threshold for what they can handle. And if they're still walking, we don't need to pull them out of the game. They're actually putting one foot in front of the other and navigating their way through it. And our um, emotional energy or, you know, nervous bystander energy can come in over the top and we can have more discomfort than they have. Do you want a story? I'm just thinking... I'm thinking of a mum the other day whose daughter didn't invite one of the girls in her class to her birthday party. And she was only allowed four or five kids to this birthday party and she didn't invite this girl, but her mum was very good friends with this girl's mum. Oh, okay. So her mum started to get worried that her friend would get upset. Does that make sense, this triangle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Now, the daughter's comfort level was totally within an acceptable range. It wasn't to snapping point. She was like, mum, we really are not that close at school. I know you're good friends with her mum, but we actually haven't played together for like, you know, months, blah, blah, blah. Now, her mum had to harness her nervous bystander energy and step back. And I said, she's got it. She's made a decision based on her inner voice and her inner compass. All you need to do right now is back her up. You don't have to over-explain it. You don't have to, all you have to do is back her up. You gave her the choice of who to invite to her party. You need to back her up. And there's so many things that happen in life, isn't it, that it it triggers our energy and then we've got this choice of what we do with it. Mm. But what about if they're going to make a mistake? Like, okay, so what about if they are... I don't know, marrying, and I'm going maybe a few years off the school thing, but yeah. like, or or maybe they're getting involved with a kid or drugs, boy, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that potentially has a reputation for drugs or um, you know, I don't know, drinking a lot or whatever, just a bad reputation. Um, and you think like, how how do you like? Awesome question. Because I'm going, how do you deal with that? Because that would be, I think that would be my most, because I would, because I've got a boy and I'm very protective of my boy. This is where it gets really exciting because we talked about earlier being that big presence in kids' lives. I call it having in-charge energy. So when we're talking about our kids needing boundaries and needing that safety of that big person presence, we're talking about 
in charge energy to the table. We're talking about needing our batteries fired up so that when we come to the table and say the only answer I'm going to accept right now is yes, mum, our kids go, she means business. And, you know, not everything has to be a negotiation in our homes, but, you know, when their safety is on the line, you need your batteries charged, you know. But even sometimes when the dishwasher needs unpacking, I don't want to wait two hours and I don't want a 50-minute argument about it. It's like, hey, this is one of these things. Hear my energy. This is one of my things that it just needs to be yes, mum, because we're keeping the family moving in this direction and I'm in charge here. And there is nothing wrong with being pilot of the ship. There is nothing wrong with being a parent. And so when it when it comes to safety, like we're talking about, I think parents need to realise that they need something in reserves, that they need to take care of themselves. Because if there comes a time where their kid really is on that edge of danger, they're going to need that energy. Yeah, yeah. And um, But what about if that child then, like, it's a, it's a precarious situation because I sort of go, if you say, no, you can't see that person, is that pushing that person even further towards, you know, that person? Yeah. So it's- this stuff is so individual for every case. It really is. Um, and, you know, there's sometimes parents will go, you know what, at the core of everything, we have to stay connected to our kids, like, and we have to protect that, um, you know, and, and that often comes into play with how hard we we can fight against things depending on their age as well once hit kids hit 16 these days it's it's really hard to you know say say a big no to some things but the closer we walk the journey with them the more influence we're going to have we have a lot less uh, control than we realize and a lot and a lot more influence than we realize our kids want to stay connected to us our kids love us. And regardless of what they're showing on the outside, we're their constant. We've been there since day one. There is no one that understands your child like you do. And there's no one that has a relationship with him that you do. And you can rest pretty heavy on that. You really can. Yes. Um, it's, yeah, it's, 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 such, what you said just then was so true. You know, it is, it is about that um, aspect and um yeah you know it's well I'm just I'm a few years off of it so (laughs) so I'm sitting there going it's like obviously like it's very funny what people say because they say and they said it to me when he was like a year old there's just different stages like it doesn't get easier it's just different stages like you think it's very hard when they're like under two but you know and you think the sleepless nights and all of that stuff but then you get like the teething yeah. and all that, and then it goes down a different avenue. So, yeah, no. They're going to make mistakes as they get older too, Claire, and I think the safety net we put around that and how comfortable our kids feel coming to us, regardless of how they got to an unsafe place, even if it was some of their choices that led them there, I would always want to think that our kids know where to turn or know who to call um, if things go pear-shaped. And that's that really overarches everything. You know. There's sometimes moments in our kids' lives where they're not kind to themselves or their their need for peer approval dominates their need for safety. But I think overall, especially as they start to mature, 
they really do have that innate kind of desire to build a beautiful mm. life and that's what we want to protect. Yeah, well, someone said to me with boys, you lose them from the age of like 15 or whatever, but they come back to you at like 24. So they sort of want to go out and do their own thing and go and do their crazy stuff and you've just got to hope that they don't do crazy stuff that kills them and keeps them alive as such. That's right. Uh, and it is, yeah, pretty, I know, yeah. Dan, it's like, some boys it's like trying to hang on. And when you say you lose them, I'm not sure you lose them because they're coming home to us every night. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. There's their but they're not core. like your little six-year-old, seven-year-old. That, no, they're yeah, not. No. They change. Yeah. And they just, they don't want to sit under your wing and, and all that stuff. They they want to be a man and they want you to hear their man's voice. Yeah. yeah. So that's, yeah. What, that's what I meant by like, yeah, you, you don't, you lose your child and then they're trying to find their feet in the world. So, oh, look, it's massive, massive and a scary place because as a parent, you need to let go. You've got to let go. And, you know, you've got to let them do that because they need to do that to then be able to come back to you. If you're going to hold on to it, I think if you hold on to it so desperately, then they're not. Yeah. It's leaning in while letting go. And the leaning in takes a whole lot of different skills um, than you have when they're six. Um, But they know we're doing it. And gosh, they appreciate it. They actually really, really know that we're making the effort to adjust and change and grow with them and, and relate to them in a different way and respect their voice in the journey. But look, you know, the bottom line is there's times where I've stood up to my 16, 17, 18 year old and said, hell no, you know, like, no. Look, well, I've said it before on a podcast before. Like, one thing that really annoyed my me about my parents was they said to me I wasn't allowed to go to a club until I was of legal age, which was eighteen in the UK at the time. And yeah. they were adamant that I wasn't going to do that. And look, I was out to work at like fourteen, fifteen. Wow. I had a job that was paying me, you know, money. At the, I had money burning a po- hole in my pocket, and I was out working with other people who were like eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-two. You know, we were in retail shops and stuff like that and basically and um, they said no that was a that was a hard and fast no clubs until you're 18 and then you can do whatever you want at 18 mm-hmm. you know within reason but no clubs and like it was a nightmare um but now I sit here and I go well that's fair enough looking back yeah, I go absolutely. well hats off to you so and a little bit of maturity we all go you know what nice work mum they're not they're not going to say to us at the time gee really good parenting today mum that was a brilliant no great execution <laughs> yeah well done thanks for that saved my life no yeah no I agree I agree no that's cool that's cool look thank you for everything um we've got I'm not sure we've got enough time to go into another um another one is that but we've covered off several um we've like because we've nailed it maybe, we've, maybe we can talk again next year or something yeah and no you know, like up again yeah no that would be great if your audience like it and it and it you know did well and you can get back in contact it's and helped we can... me <laughs> <laughs> so thank you it's definitely helped me oh you know it's going going forward i'm all good um no 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 it's like it's great nice practical chat though that was a really nice down to earth yeah what if what if you get this one out in the world and then if people like it and you want to get back in contact we can go a bit more heavy into self-harm and yeah whatever you want to do with that and helping them when they don't feel safe yeah no that would be good that would be good definitely definitely I do have one more question for you though Michelle yeah tell me yeah 
if you had a superpower, because I asked this to all my interviewees, um, if you had a superpower, what would it be? If I could choose a superpower? Yeah, you could choose one. Okay, no, I can you choose could choose one. it. You could choose whatever oh, okay. you want to, to be. Sleep. I don't want to sleep. You don't want to sleep? Okay. No, I don't want to sleep. <laughs> okay. But, wow, I quite like oh, Okay. Imagine, imagine that. Like, wow. that you didn't. I just find sleeping such a pain in the ass. Oh, Claire. my God. Like, do you? I do. God love I don't you. like it. Well, I, I can't enjoy- sleep. With being 50, I can't bloody sleep anywhere at the moment with the menopause and all of those blooming things going on. Yeah, I'm obviously reverting back to my baby side because I'm, yeah, maybe 4, you know, 4 a.m. in the morning is my new, like, wake-up time. Wow. Well, well, yeah. Well, when I was a child. How is it doing stuff? You want to hear this? I'd, like, when I was a child, I'd say to my mum, I can sleep when I'm dead. Like, as in, I can sleep when I've gone to heaven. Don't make me. Yeah, fair one. Um, for oh me, God, it was, love you. was like, I'm so glad my son can't hear you. I was, he probably... I was like, I don't want to, what, what would I want to sleep for? There's so many fun things to do in the world. Oh my so God, I, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that would be my thing, what? Claire. You have blown me away. I have never had anyone say, I want my superpower to be I'm not sleeping. Um, that's awesome. Well, no, that's just such an awesome thing. Just not wow, needing it. Thank you. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, no, it would be. It would be. <laughs> it's crazy. Not sure. it? I'm not sure what we look really... like, though. Well, no, no that, that it didn't affect you at all. It just yeah, it, no, it, well, it was just daytime yeah. and you just were brilliant all the time wow. without having to manage this thing called sleep and rest. Yeah, but the, the thing is you do realise that we do need sleep because our body needs to recuperate, flush out all the toxins, do all of the, you know, we're a machine at the end of the day and we need to, like, you know, rebuild. I, I don't know. Yeah. The problem is I do but feel we are. that. I feel it. I know I yeah. sleep. It's just- Some of us do feel it more than others. Let's not keep going. <laughs> oh, no, really? no, no. No, it's awesome. No, like, well – yeah, we. I say we're a machine, but if we didn't need sleep, we would be machines, wouldn't we? Oh, We'd be AIs. Bring it on. We'd suck on all the information. I wouldn't mind being an AI. So everything that I did that made a mistake, I re- I learned and learned to do it better instead of keep bloody making the same mistakes. Yeah. No. Yeah, no, that would be good. Wouldn't it? Wow. We could really dream up a list here. Oh, my God. But, like, well, AI is a whole different subject because that, completely terrifies me yeah. um that we've got machines out there that are relearning and learning at a quicker rate then, than we yeah. are and actually yeah and you know that's I'm not sure we've actually understood the implications of all of that and I think personally we need to do exactly what you're sort of um doing with our kids and stuff is actually look at the well-being and our emotion and our empathy and all of those things and maybe not to actually concentrate too much on this AI sort of learning stuff because these machines are going to be learning emotions and dealing with empathy and all of that stuff quicker than we are. So crazy world we live in, isn't it? It's it is. Actually, it is frightening. It's almost impossible for us to get our heads around right now. I think it's changing so quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And having our kids deal with it. Look, thank you so much for today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, we definitely bring you back. We will definitely bring you back. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's yeah let's bring you back next year, and we can go from there. And we'll we'll talk about let's talk about self harming. That's a massive massive yeah. subject. Well, even like we could go like 
what do we do when our kids are not in a place where they can help themselves? Yeah. We talked about that thing of is what you're doing right now helpful when they're feeling emotions? And, and self-harm is one thing that comes into play when they don't feel like they can help themselves. And so let's let's talk more about that. Definitely, definitely. Okay, well, look, brilliant. I'm going to let you get on with your day. Um, up in sunny Queensland, although we're sunny Melbourne here as well at the moment. Hopefully, mm-hmm. I'm going to get my COVID results coming in. I'm feeling okay. Yes. So hopefully it'll be a neg. Um, awesome. Yay, all good. Thank you. All good. You're amazing. Yes. All right, we'll catch so are up you. soon. Yes. Hey, after your community as well and all the parents out there making home hero for their kids. Brilliant. No, thank you, Michelle. Thanks so much. I'll speak to you later. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, please hit subscribe wherever you like to hear podcasts. If you'd like to support us further, share this episode with your friends and family on all the usual social media platforms that you're normally on. And finally, drop us a review on iTunes as I'd love to hear your thoughts, comments and ideas. It all helps me to understand and produce awesome content that I know you're going to want to hear like this. If you want to check out past episodes, write to us, appear on the podcast or for links, resources and show notes, go to our website www.strongsingleandhuman.com. We are also on all the usual social media platforms, Insta, Facey and Twitter. Have a wonderful week and I hope to see you back here again soon. Be kind to yourself and remember, no one's perfect and we're all just putting one foot in front of the other and doing our best. I'm Claire Martin and you've been listening to the Strong, Single and Human podcast. Hi, this is Matt Joe Gow, and you're listening to Radio Karam, which is local community internet radio. And uh, we were having a chat about community radio earlier and how important it is to Melbourne, how important it is to the scene here, the music scene, but also the wider community. So check out Radio Karam, tune in.